Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. It's September 2020, and thanks to COVID-19, we join each other via Zoom to bring you the first in a two-part socially distanced anniversary special. September marks the fourth anniversary of this podcast, and in honor of the occasion, I am gifting each of my co-hosts with an old-time radio show carefully chosen to match at least one aspect of their unique taste in audio entertainment. Today, I present Eric with an episode of The Shadow entitled The Temple Bells of Nabon. The Shadow made his radio debut in 1930 as the sinister host of the Detective Story Magazine Hour, a radio series based on the magazine of the same name. This version of The Shadow was played with malevolent glee by Frank Reddick, who eight years later would play the doomed reporter Carl Phillips in Mercury Theater's infamous War of the Worlds broadcast. The voice of The Shadow proved so popular that publisher Street and Smith hired writer Walter B. Gibson to transform their radio host into the crime fighting star of his own pulp magazine. In turn, the popularity of the pulp magazine inspired another Shadow Radio series. This time, the Shadow was more than just a host. He was the protagonist. This new incarnation of the Shadow starred two up-and-coming radio stars, Orson Welles and Agnes Moorhead. The Shadow's foe in this episode, the hypnotic Saudi Bellata, was played by the lovely and versatile Jeanette Nolan. The actor made an unexpected return to the program in the final episode of the 1940 season, Revenge Beyond Death. Series regular Marjorie Anderson was ill, so Nolan stepped in at the very last second, playing Margot Lane opposite Bill Johnstone as Lamont Cranston. Sadly, no recording of this episode is known to exist. The Temple Bells of Nabon is a rare instance of the radio program exploring the mysterious origins of Lamont Cranston's powers. Screenwriter David Kep acknowledged the Orson Welles era and its focus on Lamont Cranston's mystic powers as an influence on his script for the 1994 film version of The Shadow, he praised the Temple Bells of Nabon in particular, calling it a classic. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's listen to my present. The Temple Bells of Nabon from The Shadow. First aired October 24th, 1937. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music and listen to the voices. The Shadow, the man of mystery who strikes terror in the very hearts of sharpers, lawbreakers, and criminals. Today, the Temple Bells of Nebon. A 
Friends, if you want to be sure that the fuel you get to heat your home this winter is safe, healthy, and economical fuel, then by all means, buy Blue Coal, the finest of Pennsylvania hard coal. Remember, this superior quality anthracite has been colored a harmless blue at the mines so that you can recognize it at a glance. So take the guesswork out of your fuel buying. Get America's finest anthracite. Ask for Blue Coal by name. Order a supply tomorrow. The bell shadow, the bells of Nita, they will reveal you. Your third mistake, Sadi, and your last. <laughs> no, it is your mistake and your last. This is the end of your career as the shadow. Just a large evening, a couple of hours at the Club Caliph. Does that intrigue you? Oh, lovely, but not too late. I have an appointment at 10 in the morning at the Women's Club. They're trying to get some action on this terrible narcotic situation. Yes, I read about that. Stuff being peddled all over town. They've found school children using it, society women. Why, it's already caused a half dozen suicides. Yes, I know. It's terrible stuff. Oh, it needs the shadow to get at the bottom of it. Yes, I know, dear, but for tonight, I, I do enjoy just being myself. The Mount Cranston dilettante. Let's be the shadow only in real emergencies. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they tell me there's a lovely Indian dancer at this new club, Caliph. Indian dancer? Mm-hmm. You know, there's the place just there. Club Caliph, driver. Yes, sir. Lamont, you are going to do something about it. You've started already. Perhaps. Well, here we are. All right, driver. There you are. Thank you, sir. Oh, that looked like young Jerry Gleason just going in. Yes? I was that young man's father. I'd spank him and keep him home occasionally. Spoiled son of a wealthy sire. Mm. Here, let me have your coat. I'll check it with mine. Good evening, Jerry. Oh, oh hello, Miss Lane. Your father and sister well? I haven't seen them lately. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm sorry, but I can't wait right now. I've got to see someone, and it's important. I'm sorry. Uh, but, Jerry... Hello. What ails young Gleason? I don't know. He seems awfully upset about something. He doesn't look well, either. Pale and shaky. Mm, you're right, he doesn't. Something curious about that boy. Well, let's go in. <laughs> May I show you to a table, sir? Uh, take this table by the dance floor, thank you. Oh, there's someone getting up to speak. We seem to just in time for the main attraction. Fair Ladies and gentlemen, we take pleasure in presenting the fascinating and beautiful dancer of the Far East, Sadi Bel Ada. For our first number tonight, she will give you the dance of the cobra, Zadi Bel Ada. <laughs> Lovely. Yes. Real thing, too. Real Hindu. Hmm. It's odd, you know. Goodness. Look, she's taking a snake out of that wicker basket. A live cobra. Oh, heaven. You know, the cobra is connected with the old Indian mysticism, the most ancient of magic. 
see how she quiets the snake, makes it sway to the motion of a hen. Mm. It's a form of mesmerism. He's never improved on that with all our modern psychology. I hope its fangs have been removed. Well, they undoubtedly have. Oh, this is the one they call Sadi Belada. Jerry Gleason with that strange look in his eyes. An epidemic of narcotic smuggling. Sadi Belada. Oh, how graceful she is. <laughs> she keeps looking over here, Lamont. Yes. It's coming this way. Well. Souvenir for the beautiful lady, sir. Oh, Oh, a bracelet. Thank you. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, fair lady. Ah, you know the tongue of Mother India, sir. Only enough to make a small prayer. Only enough for that, Sadi Belada. It is good sometimes to know a small prayer. Hmm. Just in case of an emergency? Yes. You are very wise, sir. In case you should meet someone who could destroy you, sir. I see. Just what did she mean by that? I don't know exactly. Funny sort of thing. She seems to know something about me. I'm trying to recall where I've seen that face. <laughs> by the door. Why, it's young Jerry Gleason. She handed him uh, something. Good Lord. He's going out with her. What's the matter? It just struck me, Margot. That boy's face. The color of his skin. You mean drunk? Yes. The poppy of India. Oh, but not Jerry Gleason. Oh, that'd be too awful. And our old friend Claire Gleason, his aunt, who's tried so hard to steer him straight since his mother died, it would just about kill her. Come, Margot. We must do something. We're more. going to. I did come here tonight with a vague idea that this Indian dancer might have some connection with the thing. With her veiled threats and Jerry's interest in her, I'm pretty sure but now. What are you going to do? I think the shadow will pay a call on Sadi Belada in her dressing room. I think the shadow can strike back. Can anyone overhear us here in your dressing room? Oh, no. What do you want, Alexis? A message from the captain. What then? Tomorrow is the day. The police are getting closer. We sail tomorrow night at eight. I am not afraid of the police. But there is somebody else I am not sure about. You took care of Jerry Gleason? I gave him his medicine and sent him home. But you bring him tomorrow night? Do not fear, Alexis. Jerry will be with me when we sail. <laughs> I have a way to let him know. Good. But the air blows from that window. Close it, Alexis. Uh, too bad we have to terminate. The grand success of Sadi Bell Adam. The club caliph? Yes. But as the Americans say, 
business is business, yes. <laughs> and we still have a small business with the rich papa of Jerry Gleason. <laughs> no doubt the richest part of our business fleets are the... The rich men will pay well. <laughs> <laughs> Who laughs? Where are you? Speak. I am here. In the shadow. But I'm afraid you can't see me. Speak. And say who you are. Have you never heard of the shadow? Oh, the shadow? So it is you. Have I not somewhere in the past seen your face and known your name? I think so. Did you enjoy yourself tonight? I warn you, Sadi Bellada. Leave the Gleason boy alone. The boy to whom you give the evil drug. I have no fear of you, Shadow Side. I hold a greater power. I hold the power of the Temple Bells of Niban. You command the temple bells of Naban, do you? Yes. Either you lie, or you desecrate a great gift. Put your strength against mine, White Ifandi, and you will see how I desecrate that gift. I can cast your little spells aside and make them nothing. I can kill you. Kill me? The shadow, Sadi? Yes. If you dare to come to me again, will you come? Who could refuse such an invitation? Especially when made by so charming a lady as yourself. Yes, I will come. And be sure you don't mistake my voice. When I do come, Sadi Bellada. Well, what is it, Sergeant? Uh, excuse me, Commissioner. Old man Gleason is outside and insists he's got to see you. Gleason? You mean Andrew Gleason? Sure, the big Wall Street banker, friend of the mayor. Shall I let him come in? Or... All this name deficiency word doesn't do any good. I want to see you, Commissioner. All right, Mr. Gleason. What the devil is this town coming to? Well, if you'll tell me what you're getting at... My I... boy is what I'm getting at. He's lying home there with the worst case of delirium tremens I ever saw. Spent the night sopping up liquor in these rotten honky-tonks. Mr. Gleason, if you think the police department's going around playing wet nurse to all the spoiled kids in this town... It... Is this what you came to see me about, Mr. Gleason? It certainly is. Well, I happen to have more important things on my mind right now. Then you better get this on your mind. Because if you don't, I'll see to it that there's somebody here who does. And I can do it. Good day to you. Well, seems like this was a busy day, sir. What with uh, drunken college boys and millionaires. This is another of those... Uh, Commissioner Weston speaking. <laughs> Why, you, you... Don't lose your patience, Commissioner. The shadow has information that may help you. Young Jerry Gleason is becoming a drug addict. What? Yes. A victim of this flood of drugs. 
being peddled on our streets. It might cost you your job. Are you interested, Commissioner? <laughs> gentlemen, while we're waiting for the shadow to return, I want to relay a bit of information I'm sure homeowners here in the New England states will find particularly interesting. When buying your winter supply of fuel, bear this in mind. Anthracite coal is unequaled for home use. It is not a flashy fuel that burns furiously for a little while, then dies down completely. On the contrary, folks, anthracite burns slowly, steadily, evenly all day long and so enables you to maintain an even, healthful room temperature. That's why anthracite is called the solid fuel for solid comfort. And friends, remember this. Furnaces, cook stoves, and space heaters in this section of the country were especially designed to burn anthracite. So insist on anthracite, but get the best. Order Blue Coal. It's America's finest. Blue Coal is mined by the Glen Alden Company, the world's largest producers of Pennsylvania anthracite. To guarantee you the greatest heating satisfaction at the lowest cost, Blue Coal is laboratory tested for purity and uniformity of size. So you see, friends, there's no need to take chances on unknown fuels. Order Blue Coal today. You will find the name of your nearest Blue Coal dealer listed in the where to buy it section of your classified telephone directory under the name Blue Coal. Listen, staring. 
staring up at us with her round, dark eyes. She was very clever. Clever. I've often wondered what became of her. The cobra. You don't know the Indian dancer at the club camp. I'm not sure, Margot. I'm not sure. Oh, but this worries me, Lamont. Aren't you going into danger too big for you? Don't worry about me, Margot. Worry about the boy and all other poor, miserable wretches in the toils of this awful drug traffic. Is young Beeston safe? Yes, his father made him go to bed. They thought he'd been drinking too much. Well, guess it's time I got busy. Have you found out anything else? One or two things. In Sade Delada's dressing room, I found a note signed by Captain Marlin of the freighter Albora Castle. I think there's some connection there. I'm going to find out. First, though, I'm going to the zoo. The zoo? Yes. Yes, I want to borrow a decorative little reptile from my friend the curator. Usually very obliging. Open that door. Look. Hanging from the doorknob. Snake. Don't touch it. It's all right. It's a dead one. There's a note with it. So, she's not bluffing. She does know who I am. Oh, Lamont, I'm... I'm frightened for you. What does it say? It says... Dead cobras are better placings than live ones. Was I mistaken? Then it's not a bear Oh, Lamont, Margo, I... it's a challenge. But the bell. The bells of Nibon. Oh, I'm afraid the shadow this time will get beyond his death. We shall see, Margot. We shall see who is stronger. Sadi and the bells of Nabon. Or the shadow. I'll show them. They think they can keep me a prisoner in my own house. Putting me to bed as if I were some half-grown kid. What? What's that? Jerry. You hear me? Is it you, Sadi? Yes. My voice in your thoughts. Listen, Jerry. Come to me at the dock where we met before. Your medicine is waiting. Yes. Yes. Go aboard the ship I told you about. The Elbora Castle. You and I, Jerry. Yes. Yes. I am waiting, Jerry. But they've locked me in. Go through the window, Jerry. Come now. Yes, Daddy. The window. going. Get 
which lies in the harbor just off Bay Ridge shore, ready to sail. Hurry, Margot. Tremble so, I wish we were far at sea on our way to Rio. Oh, be patient. There are some notes was delivered to Papa Gita? Yes. What was that? There is nothing. Oh, it's you, Captain. Yeah. We are leaving, Captain. Yes, we're getting underway now. We've got the boys stowed safely below, below decks. And the rest of the medicine? Oh, we got rid of that. What was left of it. A nice clean-up for all hands, not counting this Gleason job. That'll net us another 100,000 or nothing. Oh, we're fixed whichever way the dice roll. And after that, we live like kings without a care, yes? Yeah? Not even a conscience to bother you. What? Daddy! He has come. I was afraid. Who said that? I did, Captain. <coughs> so you're the one with your trick ghost talking magic, eh? I'll make a shadow out of you soon enough. Not that way, Captain. No? Here, lock that door. It is locked, Captain Mullins. But, but the portholes. No one can get through those. Not even a shadow. <laughs> Save your laugh, whoever you are. We've got you. You're in this cabin somewhere. And this ship is outward bound. I think you may have made three mistakes, Captain. One too many. Yes. Yes, Captain. But I do not make mistakes, Dad. That remains to be seen, Sade Bellada. Then you will see. And me the wicker basket, Alex. Hey, what do you want to do? Yes, Sade. I call the temple bells of Niban, Captain. The shadow has the power to blind your eyes. A trick he learned in India from a yogi who was my uncle. But I have a better trick. When the last bell sounds while the sacred cobra dances, you will see the shadow only as a man. Be ready to shoot, Captain. I'm ready. And now, my cobra... To dance with the bells of Niban. I wouldn't open that basket if I were you, Sadi Bellada. You watch my pretty cobra, son. He may find you even before the captain's bullet. You will die just as quickly. Dead cobras are better playthings than live ones. Bismillahi Ramani Rahim. Make your small prayer, sad. And now, my pretty one, begin to dance. Be careful, Sally Bell. The cobra moves toward you. My own pretty cobra. He knows me. You hear the bells, Shadow? The temple bells of Niban? 
I hear them. When the last bell strikes, we shall see our prisoner. And I am waiting for that minute. What's that? The cobra. Look out. He's going to strike. Alexis, stop it. Quick, drop the mask over Alexis. Kill it. The shadow warned you, Sadi Pelada. You take credit for this too, do you? No. Sadi should have known it was not her cobra in the wicker basket. It was mine. He's dead. Captain Mallon, the police, the border. No, please, Captain Mallon, you do not shoot. Stand back here, Captain Mallon. I'll fix him. Put the bracelets on both of them, Sergeant. Right. Dope smugglers, kidnappers, and from the looks, murderers. This time, the police were too smart for you. Oh, decidedly. Huh? Who's that? Thanks for coming, Commissioner. You were very helpful. <laughs> and now, before today's adventure with the shadow comes to a close, John Barclay, Blue Coal's own heating expert, is here tonight to give us another of his practical talks on automatic heating. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Barclay. Good evening, friends. Last week, we discussed the importance of uniformly heated homes in avoiding cold. I told you how home temperatures could be kept uniform and automatically controlled with a blue coal heat regulator. I explained that the cost was only $18.95 plus a small installation charge. Now for a word about the convenience of this blue coal heat regulator. With one of these automatic regulators in your home, it is no longer necessary for you to adjust dampers by hand. The regulator eliminates need for frequent attention to the furnace. What do you have to do, Mr. Barclay? You simply tend to your furnace once in the morning and once at night. Just think of that, friends. You can enjoy the comfort and convenience of an evenly heated home, and yet you can come and go all day long without a thought or worry about the fire. Is it any wonder I'm so enthusiastic about the blue coal heat regulator? And two, although it costs only $18.95, it does about everything that the elaborate and much more expensive equipment does that many of your friends have. So, folks, why not get to your blue coal dealer tomorrow and ask him more about this blue coal heat regulator? At the same time, if you have any heating problems, discuss them with your blue coal dealer, too. He is the best-informed heating expert in your community. With the assistance of his John Barkley trained serviceman, he will be able to save you money and help make your home more comfortable this winter than ever before. I thank you. The story you have just heard is copyrighted by The Shadow Magazine. The characters in this story are entirely fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Fruit. Crime does not 
Your announcer, Arthur Whiteside. That was the Temple Bells of Nibon from The Shadow here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And as you know from listening to the opening, again, I'm sure you heard the opening because I don't know anybody that would listen to this podcast and jump in now. But that's my gift, our anniversary gift from Joshua to me. As we are celebrating our fourth year of this podcast, Joshua, why did you select this for me? Well, a little pre-intro intro to that is that I also wanted to carefully select something that matched your taste, but also overlapped with mine. So I didn't present like a radio show that I went, hey, this sucks. It reminded me of you. <laughs> <laughs> so that added another level of challenge to this because I right. want to appreciate this uh, with you guys. So I immediately went for the shadow because that is something that you and I have in common and greatly love. And then I chose this one because A, I was pretty sure you had never heard it, or if you had heard it, you had probably fallen asleep <laughs> in the first five minutes. I know your newly discovered love of the Orson Welles era of The Shadow. Um, this features the closest thing the radio show has ever given us to an origin story, which I thought you would be really into. Mm -hmm. It has a really strong villain played by a, a radio great in Jeanette Nolan. The story also has very clear and very high stakes for The Shadow. Mm -hmm. uh, that's another thing I know you like, Eric, is something where we know exactly what the conflict is. The Shadow is also at his most grim and Orson Wellesy in this one, dealing out his own form of justice at the end. And last of all, the, the Shadow's powers are integral to the story. And I know you hate it when the shadow just randomly turns invisible at the end of a story because he hasn't so far. Right? <laughs> and here his, his powers are at the center of the story. So those are all things that I thought, oh, those boxes, I'm going to check them. <laughs> well, I will tell you, bravo, sir. First of all, you're very correct in your assessment of things that I love. Uh, it only took you four years, but you finally figured me out. <laughs> but yeah, all of those things you said are very true about me. There are things that I like beyond those specific things, but if you check all those boxes, like you said, you're really going to have a hard time disappointing me. You're right that I had not ever listened to the Temple Bells of, let's get it straight right now. Is it Nabon, Nibon, Nabon? What are we going with? I keep hearing it differently. I think they're emphasizing the second syllable. So I've known for a long time that Shadow fans love this episode. When we started this podcast four years ago, and we started delving into shadow and, and then and I lost time to listen to anything on my own because the only thing I have time for anymore is the episodes that we're doing for this podcast. So there is no, there's a little bit, but not as much as before this podcast where I would just like, what am I going to listen to tonight? Now I'm like, oh, I have an assignment to do. I got to do this dumb show. So uh, <laughs> I'm glad we could spoil this for you. Right. This whole thing has destroyed my life. It's been four years of hell, gentlemen. <laughs> The idea that Temple Bells was always on my list. And what I did was every time I had an opportunity to listen to it, I'd say, nope, can't listen to that one. Because I know eventually, knowing its reputation, that it will show up on our podcast. And for four years, I have been waiting. There's a couple of other old-time radio shows I've never heard and I'm waiting for. One of them being Hitchhiker from Suspense. I always wanted to listen to it and i went well i can't until we do this podcast uh, others that, listen to an old-time radio show twice <laughs> except i like the idea of 
listening to it before we record and being really fresh with it. Like I just heard it. That's why I hold off on them. When you emailed this to me, I was so happy. I'm like, finally, I get to listen to this. And it did not disappoint. One of the things I was struck by most is that this is one of the only ones I can remember that seems like a true superhero matchup. Superhero versus superhero villain. Instead of taking out a syndicate, taking out crime in our world, like a detective, he's fighting an arch nemesis with superhero powers. And this is a year before Superman exists. So like there's Paul Pierrot, but there's not superheroes in the world. Right. Really. But it certainly has the seeds of it, like that beginning of, oh, someone that can match our superpower <laughs> or at least take it away or at least has more control other than just screaming, who's that talking? Who's laughing? Get out of here, you. Yeah, but we do get a little uh, foreshadowing of what we're going to have for the next 15, 20 years of the shadow when the captain of the freighter at the end uh, just decides to lock him in the cabin and that'll take care of him. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's actually an episode, uh, Orson Welles' Shadow, where three guys hold hands. Oh, yeah. And walk slowly across the room so they can eventually ensnare this yes. Cranston. We have a, a mutual friend named EJ who uh, listened to that episode once years ago and called me laughing and did an impression recreation of that entire scene. He memorized the scene <laughs> and all the voices. All right, we're going to get you now, Shadow. All right, everybody grab hands. We're going to walk across. And he was laughing so hard. He thought that was such a great, he goes, why didn't everybody think of that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't recall another episode of The Shadow with a teaser at the top. Yeah, we often collectively don't like teasers, but I thought this one was really effective. And it didn't give anything away. This is only the fifth episode of the series. So they are clearly still experimenting with the structure and right. narrative styles they're going to use. And yeah, that really stands out and it's very effective. It's a little disorienting because you don't know that this is telepathy. They just exist in a void, just speaking to each other with the mysterious music, uh, basically threatening. It's like they're going to have a rap battle. <laughs> <laughs> If you're going to do a teaser, that's the right way to do it. Unlike CBS Radio Mystery Theater, which usually gives away the entire premise in a 20-second teaser. Well, that one builds suspense instead of destroying it. Uh, right. So <laughs> that's what you want a, a teaser to do, to hook you in, but not give away the first 15 minutes of the radio show. So Jeanette Nolan, I did not know that was her. She is good, and so is Orson Welles in this. It's not implicit in the dialogue, but they play every exchange as if they are either just have had sex or are about to <laughs> or are perhaps having it during the dialogue <laughs> it's not subtle at all and they're no. probably the greatest uh, line delivery in this entire episode is when lamont cranston says i think the shadow will pay Saudi bellada a visit <laughs> very pregnant pause in her dressing room. <laughs> right. <laughs> I doubt the script had an ellipsis there. I'm sure he was <laughs> having fun with that. And he's like, finally, a use of my powers. I expected <laughs> when she left the table, when she was dancing, that she would turn and say, just put your lips together and blow. <laughs> you, know, you know how to whistle. It's intense. 
and it both works with the dialogue and a little against it and makes right. it really um, more interesting than I think it actually is. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some great lines in here. I love the yeah. exchange about, uh, you know, I, I only know enough of the language for a very small prayer. Jesus. Yes, that escalation of thinly veiled threats. So, Someone who could destroy you? <laughs> Not much of a veil on that one. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, Margot goes, what could she mean by that? <laughs> I think she means she's going to destroy you. <laughs> there was a pace to this episode, too. Very sinister that the whole thing was, I don't know if that's the right adjective to be using to describe how I felt about it, but everything was slow and foreboding and sinister. It's the best way I can put it, not only in their conversations with each other, but even his conversation with Margot. And like, there were a lot of dead spots, even in the car ride, it was slow and it didn't detract. It actually gave it a spookier feel. Yeah, it, it draws you in because you know that there's a relational undercurrent to all this. And you also really don't know what threat she poses to the shadow until after the commercial break. So you have like 15 minutes of just pure tension until we have that great and very strange scene. We go right out of the commercial to the wind blowing and the sound of chimes and the bells and uh, this dialogue between Margot and Lamont about like, do you hear that? Yeah, they're the temple bells of Nabon and you're not even sure where they are. Mm -hmm. And then we find out where they're sitting in Lamont's apartment and he has somehow summoned them as a parlor trick just to demonstrate their power. Mm -hmm. um, and even then it's very vague. <laughs> right. And that's when he explicitly says, she commands these powers and with them can make me visible. There is a, a terrible, terrible part of me, small little teenage geek that it was just thinking like, so he has an invisibility spell and she has a dispel magic spell, and that's all their powers. That's <laughs> we're watching two rounds of a really dull D and D geek adventure here. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what, Tim? This isn't your anniversary present. <laughs> You're right, Tim. If you got to hit them bells, just hit them. Hit the bells, then you'll see them. Then kill them. <laughs> Why are you inviting him back to come back another time to to just hit him quick? Hit the bells. So, uh, uh, well, I'm going to take issue with that because I think it's very clear in the script that both of them vaguely recognize each other in that moment, and they're right. not sure who the other one is. And it's not until she leaves the dead cobra on his door that he knows that she knows, and then he's sure that she really is the niece of this. Indian priest. Right. Then they're going to go head to head and he needs to figure out a way to defeat her without being turned visible. I mean, he thing could, I, just, I, could just learn to fight. Or well, that's the thing I liked a lot about this episode is, is going into it. It was that question of, are you stronger than she is? And then when it came down to it, like, maybe, maybe not. I'm just smarter than she is. He specifically says it's a greater power than mine. And that's why he has to resort to swapping out cobras, which is a <laughs> killer move <laughs> so to speak yeah and I, I love that he has a carte blanche at the zoo and he he's just got the, the curator there i'll just uh, give me animals that's not weird lamont <laughs> <laughs> i'll just need it for the night <laughs> here's an interesting thing that happened that i thought bared a little discussion because it threw me for a loop until I realized this is something that is in context of the era and time. And that is the moment where Margot says she's concerned about the narcotics issue. She's got a meeting. By the way, she can't stay out late because she's got to get up at 10 a.m. So anyway, I, but could you please help with the narcotics problem in this town? And he says, 
you know, I, I'm not really interested in that right now, but I am going to go see this Indian dancer. And she says, oh, my God, you are going to solve the narcotics problem. And I started to realize, because they do call it the Indian poppy later, that there is probably a, an accepted idea at the time that drugs were coming from India. Is that? Oh, this is part of the whole yellow peril racist tropes. There are a lot of those in here and we should recognize them. But yeah, the evil foreigners bringing narcotics into our country and destroying right. our children. Um, however, by caveat to that is one of the reasons I think this is a lot more interesting is because there are several points that work against that. And one of them is usually in those yellow peril stories, the villainy just literally stems from their race. Right, Their whole evil culture will overwhelm America. But here, Saudi Bellata is established as a villain. It's not that she is Hindu. She is desecrating these powers that come from her own place, right? So there's that that's a little different. There's also the fact that <laughs> there's more disparaging comments toward the dumb young white guy who's addicted to drugs than there is to the actual villains. Right. They really hate this guy. The cops are talking about, oh, the rich college boy and the millionaire. And and Lamont even expressing desire to spank him, but that might be something else from the 30s we don't understand. <laughs> and the cop saying, I don't have time to play nursemaid to, you know, your rich spoiled kid. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're right. There's very much a uh, anti-1% kind of thing going on. <laughs> this episode got me thinking in really broad terms about, in pulp, the abuses and glorifications of other cultures of Asia, of India, China. Of There's so many stories where the villain is a manipulative Asian figure that even with the caveats in this one, like it's in one more and it's damaging. But there's also from there, because we've talked about, uh, Eric specifically, in these pulp stories that these worlds seems so amazing and wonderful. There's so much to be discovered there that has absolutely nothing to do with any villainy or manipulation or insidiousness. And so I, I was thinking, like, I think both of those things get communicated through this, of that there is this hatred towards foreigners and immigrants, and also that these other places are wonderful and beautiful and amazing. It marks it as different from uh, just other episodes of The Shadow. There are one or two Orson Welles ones, particularly, that play on these tropes that are just pure, unadulterated, old-timey racism. Uh, but yeah, this one um, is interesting just because it's a jumble of different biases. <laughs> yeah, And then it's even like an international group, it seems to be, of bad guys, too, because Alexis sounds almost Russian in his accent, but it might just be a poor accent. And then there's the freighter captain is in on it, and he sounds like he's maybe vaguely English, but it might just be the mid-Atlantic accent he's trying to do. But yeah, there's just a lot of things that separate this from some of the really, <laughs> really- And they bad. were headed to Rio, right? The I think that's what they said. I thought so as well. Yeah, so it felt more like this international gang of criminals. And Tim, you know, I've said it before, and, and you brought it up again, there is something about putting yourself in the 1920s, 30s, especially that era, where the Middle East especially was unexplored for us in the sense we didn't know much about it. And so it seemed magical and mystical and maybe full of danger, but also full of wonder. The shadow's all based in that, that idea that he learned these magical, mystical powers from this far off place. And as time went on and we were able to see the entire world, like that doesn't really exist anymore. 
Uh, it's why sci-fi, one of the many reasons sci-fi took off is we needed somewhere else that we didn't know anything about. Once you know everything about a place, then we got to move on. Uh, underwater as well is another big one. Uh, here's some a new category that I started after four years on my note sheet. I just wrote uh, weird end of note. When the dancer is introduced uh, at the club, the applause make it sound like there's four people there. And I felt very bad for her. <laughs> I did not notice that. That's fine. I'll have to go back and listen for that. <laughs> Here's another one. When the shadow shows up on the ship, announces he's in the room with the captain and, and the dancer and uh, her, I don't know, butler, whatever that guy was. Did you hear the cough? I did not. I thought the cough, I had a moment where I was like, oh, the shadow's using some kind of gas. Like, right, because he, 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 he's just trying to get their attention. He's like, <clears throat> <clears throat> right. He announces he's there and he's like, ha, 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 ha. And then, because that's my shadow impression. Then you hear this. <clears throat> and I was like, oh, there's a gas. And then they just moved on. And I was like, oh, someone is coughing. So you guys didn't pick up on that. I thought that was a really interesting moment of live radio that very rarely occurs, those mistakes, unless you're Basil Rathbone. <laughs> Here's one, and this is a discussion. The one thing I'm disappointed in, and the only thing I'm disappointed in, is very nitpicky, is the bells themselves. If you're going to call this the Temple Bells and Ebon, right? I want to hear these bells. I want them significant, like a bong, bong, like the first bell, you second want the bell. temple gongs of Nabon. Just louder, and because they were in the background behind that flute thing, and they kind of got lost. And if you're going to have temple bells in the title, I, I, I want to hear those the bells part of it just more sinister, more prominent. Like, he, oh, no, she's playing the bells. But instead, I had to struggle to hear them. And like I said, it's nitpicky, but I, I, did either of you have – that thought, like, I'm not hearing the bells very well? That choice worked for me, actually. When they were listening in Lamont's apartment, and he said there'd be three chimes, and then I was listening, like, was that it? Was that the three chimes? So I had the same reaction, but it, it drew me in rather than repelled me. Yeah, I don't think it'd be our anniversary if I didn't have the opportunity to say, I think you're wrong, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I think you're right in the observation, but I, I tend to agree with Tim that it felt more sinister and dangerous and far away because it's half this magical power and half this charming sound. It's, it's the music she also uses to charm the cobra. So right. you wouldn't want to alarm the cobras. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how it all, all worked for me, at least. I just wanted the suspense that would be created by, I heard the first one, significantly heard the second one. Oh my God, do something. The third one's coming. I see what you're saying there for the final scene. You could accent them more. They didn't have to be as quiet as they were in earlier scenes. Because you're right, you're building suspense there. So also because it's our anniversary, I will half agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's my once every year little, I'm not going to go there. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for our anniversary present. Well, uh, any other final thoughts on this wonderful gift? Generally speaking, one of the things I like about the 30s 
Orson Welles' shadow, and it's on display here in many ways, is that they're not law and order. Even before they get to the 50s, they get very uh, 1950s. The police are good, villains are bad, and this is a lot murkier. Like, specifically, Weston doesn't care about the drugs on the streets. The only reason he agrees to listen to the shadow and come to the freighter is because the shadow puts him in fear of his job. And that's not how he would depict police in even a couple more years on the shadow show. So I love that. And I do love the shadow's willingness to mete out his own justice. It's more like the pulp. Shadows. And he does say, I warned you in the most subtle half-hearted way possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love when the police uh, show up and the cop says, uh, this time the police were too smart for you. And the shadow says, oh, decidedly. Like that yeah. smart ass And then response. he just laughs. This yeah, episode then- ends with the shadow laughing in the face of the police. That, <laughs> that doesn't happen in the second half of this series. So that's gorgeous. Well, if we're good uh, with thoughts, let's send it to our vote. I want to start with Tim. It's hard not to call this one a classic. The cast is just incredible. It's vintage shadow. It's very old-fashioned in some ways. It's very uh, prescient in other ways of, like, this is a superhero story, very much so, and in a way that feels very modern compared to what other stories were in the 30s. It's got its racist stuff, but it's a classic. It really is. It's a classic episode of a classic series. Joshua? Yeah, I agree with everything Tim said. It's definitely a shadow classic. I think it's an old time radio classic because I think it really represents the shadow well. So classic. Yeah, it's something I've been waiting a long time to hear. I was not disappointed. It does check all my boxes as far as a very straightforward plot, uh, good versus evil. This is our conflict. How are we going to resolve it? I like the resolution of it that I didn't see coming that and it was a good one. Um, my Cobra is going to attack you instead of your Cobra. I like the dialogue of the thing. I like the premise of it. I like the magical mysticism of it. I love this era of the shadow. As you know, I like older shadows, but nothing beats this era, as Joshua has pointed out, with less about law and order and more about the mysticism. So thank you, Joshua, so much for my anniversary present. Uh, I've been waiting four years to listen to that. And uh, it didn't disappoint. And it's simple. There's no doubt about it. There's a simplicity factor to this, the, the storytelling. And my days, especially in 2020, are filled with thinking and trying to wrap my head around things and problem solving. and deal. So sometimes I just want a really simple story told to me at the end of the day where the good guy wins and I don't have to think too much and it's exciting and doesn't make me roll my eyes. And that <laughs> gave me this, that was really fun. I just want fun. Anniversary guys. Happy anniversary. Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. You can comment on them. You can send us messages, send us requests for episodes you'd like us to listen to. You can link to our social media pages and converse Last time that I was giving this little spiel, I forgot something, and I never got to it, and I remembered what it is. Wow. Our listener, Doug Shaw, pointed out to me that I should inform people, you can also listen to us on a number of podcast things, but Spotify as well. I've started listening to podcasts on Spotify. I love it. So you can find us not only on iTunes and your other podcast uh, defibrillators, not the right word. (laughs) Not at all. And when we're done with this recording, you can tell me what Spotify is.
<laughs> you can also go to iTunes and write a review. Uh, we have lots of great reviews, but uh, we would love even more. Thank you to everyone who has written reviews. You can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. We have lots of special members only podcast episodes there for you to listen to secrets of the mysterious old radio with all sorts of weird radio shows that didn't make the cut for the main podcast also cliffhangers of doom a podcast focusing on old-time radio serials and we're currently listening to city of the dead from adventures by morse so uh become a patron and listen to those podcasts also you can see us perform live we used to be on stage 2020 has taken us off stage for a little bit 2021 will take us off stage too let's let's be honest <laughs> let's start facing some facts <laughs> anyway uh we have an arrangement with park square theater for the last few years and we do monthly shows with them we were doing recreations of all-time radio we've since just started writing original works and now you can go to parksquaretheater.org see the schedule of our monthly shows and we record them and then we produce them and then we when you buy the ticket, we come on with you. We talk about it before and after playing our produced, recorded, original old-time radio shows. Now, in October of 2020, we're going to be doing our adaptations of the Frankenstein story, which we've done a number of times in the past at different places, but never have we recorded them and produced them for posterity. So this will be very exciting. So if you'd like to hear that, go to parksquaretheater.org. Tim, tell them a little bit about the Frankenstein story that you wrote. The story I wrote is called Long Live Frankenstein. It is uh, sort of a pseudo-sequel to the, the novel, but it's kind of written in the style of escape, but high adventures uh, set in an exotic location. And Joshua? My script is uh, set during World War II and written in the style of an inner sanctum mystery. There are a lot of monsters other than Frankenstein in it, and it's just a ridiculous <laughs> kind of pastiche of inner sanctum over the topness. All right, what is coming up next? Next, we have part two of our anniversary special, and I am going to be giving a gift to Tim and a challenge to Eric. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is the exact opposite of this week's episode. We'll be listening to Death in the Compass from Vanishing Point. Until then... Look out! Who said that? I did, Captain. Oh, shit.